as, as, they, as they talk about, about, about praying, and he's, he, 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 does this, he does this prayer wand, kind of, if you will, over, over, over the people. And he says, God, listen, if they go wrong, if they go south, if, if, if something gets off course, if they repent, if they repent, if they repent. Hang on to that phrase. Now let's go back. Second Chronicles. If I still got your attention. All right. So now I want to I show you something here. I want to show you something here. There's a process that we go through that I don't want you to miss this. This, this will be worth getting out of bed, what I'm about to show you. All right. So you can draw it out on your little notes. What happens in life, we hit a point of regret. You fill in the blank of what that regret is. You, you can write into, into your notes, this was my last, latest, greatest moment of regret. You write down that moment of regret. Okay, whatever that regretful moment is, that's your moment that you're keying in on. Hopefully then, you will start following 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And the next move that you make is you realize it and you humble yourself. You relinquish control. Again, humility, we defined it, we said what it's not, but really what it is, is it's, you're not in control any longer. You give control over, you submit to, you are no longer the big cog in the wheel, you're no longer the chief, chief uh, on, on the throne. You are now relinquishing all of that over, okay? Then we talked about that. We spent an entire day talking about that. Then we talked about the next move, which is what he says there in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. He says that you need to refresh or you need to pray. This is where you seek God, okay? You bring your brokenness, you bring your mess-ups, you bring it in confession. And we talked an entire message about confessional prayer and the value and the power of confessional prayer. All of this that I'm giving you is just review. It all goes back to 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. Now, here's where you don't want to miss this part. A lot of people, I'll say, I'm just going to throw a number out there, 95% of the people will have periods and seasons and decisions of regret. They'll reach that point of humiliation, and how do you get rid of the humiliation? You, you go to God in confession, and you take on humility. You get rid of the humiliation. You take on humility, and you continue to walk in humility. But in that moment of, of prayer and refreshing, all of a sudden, the weight comes off. All of a sudden, you're a little bit more free again. All of a sudden, you feel that cleansing power of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Whenever you confess, and he cleanses, and he forgives, and he makes right again, and on and on and on. Now, that's beautiful. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Here is the problem. Some people get off the bus right here. They rebound. They, go a, they get off the circle, and they rebound. They feel better. The humiliation's gone. The regrets kind of subsided a little bit. They're able to move on. They're able to forget a little bit of the past. They self-talk themselves into just moving on. And they never do any of the very important process that most people don't want to do. Because the first part, you are absolutely broken and laying yourself before God. The next two words, they require change. They require you making initial and uh, intentional changes in your life, intensive changes in your life. We talked about that last week, which is where we want to move. We want to move to realignment. We want to not rebound and just kind of go back and recycle back through and recycle back through. Regret, regret, regret. Oh, I'm sorry, God. Uh, I won't do it again, God. And then, and, and, and then you confess it, and then you feel free, and then you go do it again. 
there's going to have to be, there's got to be a time, a focused realignment. And what did he say last week? He said, not only do you, do you humble yourself, not only do you pray, but you seek my face. I become the focal point. I become the center of your life. See, when people rebound, they rebound all the time. They, they rebound into a bad relationship, from a bad relationship into another bad relationship. And then they wonder when that relationship goes bad, what happened to that relationship and when am I ever going to learn my lessons? Because they never realign, they only rebound, they, they never get back on track, they never zero in on what their focus is in life, at being the face of God. They do it on jobs. This job didn't work out. They didn't promise. They didn't give me what they promised. So I'm going to go find a headhunter, and I'm going to go find some other place to work. And, and they just rebound. We do it in money. We go out and we buy something, and it wasn't what, what we thought it was going to be. So then we, we, we just roll that loan into another loan. And we go out and we buy more. And we, we're doing it all the time. We're not realizing that we're, as you, if you remember back a few weeks ago, we talked about shadow comforts. What we're doing is we're just giving ourselves shadow comforts, and we're not doing the hard work of realigning our life. Realigning our life to pursue God, to seek His face. And about the best way I can say it, and I tried to say it last week, I don't know if I did a good, good job with it. The best way I can say it is it's much like when you're pursuing that other person in the relationship, that, that significant other or your husband or your wife. You remember those days when you used to pursue them? When you used to do all manner of things to win them? What if we had that same kind of intensity in our relationship with God? That we were literally seeking His face, that we were literally pursuing Him in an intimate love relationship. See, I think until we do that, we're just going to keep rebounding rebounding, rebounding, which then will lead us back to regret, which then will lead us back to relinquishing, which then will lead us down to refreshing. And really what we need to do, we've got to realign. You've got to, got to, got to realign. So in this season of recalibration in my own life, I came across, you know, old devotional for years, year, been reading it for years. Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest. And I don't know why on this day is the only time I read it the entire time, the entire focused recalibration. I only read it on this one day, and it was as if God said, here, I want you to read this. This is what Chambers said. He said, if there is sin, confess it. Don't admit it. Distinguish between the two. Confess it. Don't admit it. Never discard a conviction. If it is important enough for the Spirit of God, now think about this, I'm going to just put it in my own words. If it's important enough for the God of the universe to wake you up in the middle of the night, to point something out in your life, don't ignore it. Get out of bed, put a pot of coffee on, get a journal and a Bible, and you better start listening. Don't just admit it, confess it. Never discard a conviction. If it is important enough for the Holy Spirit of God to, uh, to have brought it to your mind, it is the thing He is detecting in your life. How does He do this? This work of how do I know when I'm right and when I'm wrong? And I talked about last week about not really knowing His voice. and the, you know, It says a lot about your own faith relationship. Listen, He has a very clear voice. And typically what He does is it's not this shotgun effect. He's like a laser. 
You know that he didn't, he won't just say your attitude stinks. Well, he might say that because it does stink all the time. But he might say, you know, the attitude you had with your child in this situation right here, boom, that's wrong. You know the time you lost it whenever you were talking to that, 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 that person who directly reports to you? Bingo. That time right there, that was wrong. You had time you were looking at that person and you were imagining and dreaming and fantasizing? That one time right there? See, God's very specific. Satan is very general. God is very specific. He does this through his Holy Spirit. It resides inside the hearts of every believer. John chapter 16, verse 8, before Jesus left and before the Holy Spirit came, he said this, he says, when he comes, Jesus speaking, he will convict, there's that word again, convict, the world concerning sin, concerning righteousness. So he'll, he'll not only let us know what's wrong, but he'll also let us know what's right in judgment. He'll help us. See, God has this convicting power, as you call it, as, 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 as Chambers called it, as, as, as the scriptures call it, this convicting power here. It's like God's MRI. It's like his dye test. It's like his x-ray. It's, it's like his CAT scan where you know something's not right. You go see Dr. James and you know something's not right. And the doctor has to point at it and he says, this is what's not right. And then you have that rude wake-up call from the doctor when he says, everything that's wrong with you is preventable and curable by you. Everything that's wrong in some of your relationships, everything that's wrong on your job, it's not the boss being wrong in the job, it's not, it's not your environment's being wrong, it's, it's not your, your spouse being wrong. Sometimes the wrong is you. What do you do with that? We've been looking at 2 Chronicles 7.14. We've been trying to memorize it. Hopefully you're there. Let's, let's try it together here. Let's throw it up on the screen. If you don't need it, don't, don't look at it. But if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Beautiful. He tells us what we do. He tells us what he does. He told Solomon, you do this, I'll do this. Next week, we're going to spend the entire service dealing with what does God do when we come to him, when we relinquish, when we, when we go through that process of relinquishing and refreshing and realigning. And as we're going to look at this week, repenting, getting rid of, changing our lives, seeing our, our lives uh, realigned to his will, that, that, that whole idea of repentance, of turning away from evil is where we're going to be at uh, today. So 2 Chronicles 7.14, again, there's about 13 years, uh, scholars believe, between chapter 6 and chapter 7. Now, I don't know how they got to that, but they got to that in some manner, and they said in this time, Solomon has this vision. Between that time, he says, hey, God, one of these days we're going to sin. And when we sin and we're getting put into a captive, into a foreign land, when we repent with all our hearts, when we pray, did you hear that? And then God turns right around and says, yes, 13 years later or thereabouts, he says, yes, when you do this, then I will hear, then I will heal, then I will forgive. What's this whole idea of repenting? What's that word there? 
Because right after that word, we find the hope of restoration. Which again, we're going to deal with that next week. But how is it that repentance, changing, turning away from? Because that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about getting away from what got us in this mess to begin with. Because he doesn't use the word repent. He uses the phrase, turn from your their wicked ways. Turn from their wicked ways. The word turn there is used 1,050 times in the Old Testament. There's lots of references that you can refer to. Jeremiah uses it the most out of all the prophets, out of all the Old Testament, 111 times. And of course, if you know anything about Jeremiah, he was all about calling the people back to God, calling the people back to God because they were off track. They were not on. And the word turn means a physical movement that literally you make a turn in your life. There is physical manifestations of this. You are changing. And then he uses a word there for ways that the, the idea is of a behavior modification. So you can, you can just put it like this. Turn from their wicked ways. It's like I'm going this way and I'm physically behavior modifying myself into this, this direction. But let me tell you what it's not. That's why you got to hear this whole message in its totality. That's why you got to hear this whole series in its totality. It's not just behavior modification. It's not just turning over a new leaf, trying a new path. It's more than that. Because the very first phrase that we talked about there, my people who are called by my name, it begins and it ends in a relationship with God. And once you have that relationship with God, then you start that process of humbling yourself. Then you start that process of praying, seeking your faith. Then we turn from our wicked ways. That's the word repentance that I use to kind of to kind of bank on today. So what are the two moves? Two moves that I think we need to make when we are at that point of regret and we're at that point of trying to re restore what's been broken in our life. What is it that we move from and to? And that's really what it means is the idea of moving from something and to something. The first is to retreat from our current path. Retreat. Move away from. You finish this statement for me, please. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always... Yeah, beautiful statement. If you just keep doing it, <laughs> you're just going to keep getting the same results. And don't expect anything different. Now, what is the definition of insanity? Can anybody say that out loud? Doing the same thing all the time, expecting different results. So guess what? You have a bad relationship. You relinquish. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm humble, humble, humble. Come to you, God. Okay, confess. Okay, okay. And, and you, never real, you never refocus and you never realign. You never repent. Excuse me. Uh, you never, you don't do those things that we just talked about. Then guess what? You're going to have another bad relationship. You have a bad job, you, bad job. There's got to be something change in us, around us, if we're going to move forward. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you three common, I think, common areas I think that we need to retreat from. Common, and I'm, I'm just hitting a broad strokes here, okay? But now, this is not exhaustive. This is not exhaustive. It's not intended to be exhaustive, so I'll put that disclaimer on there. Because I may miss the very area that you need to retreat from. But let me just give you some broad strokes. One, we need to ret retreat from valueless living, where we just chase after what feels good. Where we're like Forrest Gump, like a feather on a breeze, and we just go wherever the 
the wind blows us. I mentioned you last week about dopamine and the dopamine drug in the brain and where we get the idea of dope from. And it's simply, it's pleasure. It's a sexual pleasure, but we get also other pleasures from buying things. You get dopamine dropped into the, bl- into the, into the brain, but you can't have enough dope. You can't have enough dopamine. You've got to go get more and more. And you don't live based on values. You live based on dope. On buying more, on having more, on going more, on doing more, on whatever the more is. And we, I think we have to do this. We have to have a kind of a recalibration as a church. You're the church. This building is not the church. We need to, we need to look at our values. I'm going to start a message series in a couple of weeks. And it just landed on the, this this week. And it's, it's you finished this statement in your mind, what matters most? What matters most? What matters most for you may not be the same thing for me and may not be the same thing for someone else. So it's not, I'm not asking for your own humanistic opinion of what matters most. This may take some time in your own life and you may take some Bible study, it may take some really reflection. But I want you to think about what matters most. But here, there's a couple of post-it notes on your, on your worship guides today that I want you to look at those notes. And I want you to ask yourself this question about Grace Point, okay? This is not about you right now. All right? I know that will disappoint you. Uh, what about Grace Point? Now, some of y'all are guests. Some of y'all haven't been here very long. Or some of y'all have been here a long time. You, there's a whole gamut in here. It's going to be interesting to see what will come out of this. But if you are looking at Grace Point from the outside looking in or from the inside looking out, what would you say matters most at Grace Point? What are our values at Grace Point? And try to put it into one word, all right? Now, when you leave here today, I want you to get, I think we're giving everybody two post-it notes. If you got gypped and only have one, sorry. Uh, you know, your neighbor doesn't have values or doesn't know what the values are, then take the one of theirs. They have values. I'm sure they do. Uh, but I mean, you, you, you write down in one word, what is the value, what's valued at Grace Point, okay? And let's start there. Let's start at 90, let's start at 30,000 foot, okay? And then let's work our way into our own individual life. So we're just going to ask that question, and then we're going to work ourselves into our lives and how it all fits together. But that's where we're going to be going in a couple of weeks, but I just want us to be thinking about it now, all right? So what you're going to do with this post-it note when you leave here today, out in the gallery area are some whiteboards that are out there. I want you to take it and just go stick it on the whiteboard, all right? Stick what you think matters most at Grace Point there, and we'll keep talking about values in the weeks ahead. But number two is we need to retreat from unhealthy relationships. Now, you may be saying, I'm married, Mike, and it's unhealthy. I get it. And it's difficult. How can you make that unhealthy relationship healthy? That's a bigger question. But what about the relationships beyond? If you're not married, or what about relationships at work, or what about relationships in your social networks? We need to think about this because they're influencing us. Now, we need to be influencing them, but I'm afraid that they may be influencing us more than we are influencing them. Second, or First Chronicle, or First Corinthians, chapter fifteen, verse thirty-three says it like this: "Bad company ruins good morals." What moral values do you have being corrupted because you don't have great voices speaking into your life? 
Be careful about your relationships. Because what we are supposed to do is we're supposed to speak into them, Matthew 5, 16. Now, I'm not talking about all of us come across to a holy huddle here in a bubble and get an old bubble so the world, bad, bad, bad world out there can't influence us. We need to be influencing the world. Let your light so shine before men so that others may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. So we need to be influencing the world, but sometimes I'm afraid we're influenced more by the world. Beware of that. Retreat from self-serving life. We have that attitude when it comes to church. We have that attitude when it goes to the restaurant. We have that attitude in school. We have that attitude on the playground. We have that attitude in the boardroom. What is in it for me? That is not modeled in the faith. I love it that, and it's tough, when we see 15 families from our church in the past couple of months leave our church and go and start, help start narrative, which we're excited about that. But you know what's really hard is to see 15 families that we love dearly no longer with us. Givers, servers, lovers, mission leaders, all that kind of stuff. But here's, here's, here's our mentality at Grace Point is, hopefully it's one of our values, is that we're a sending church. And that we don't see that we lost them, we launched them. And so so that's, a, that's some of the things that we need to think about. Uh, am I serving myself when I come here? Or where am I serving when I'm a part of it? Because we just lost 15 families that were servings, servers. We need to have that many more step up. Now, yesterday was Halloween. I know your kids went out and probably got lots of candy. And, and you had all of that. It was homecoming at the U of A. But there were bigger things than homecoming at the U of A and candy swaps yesterday. Actually, nearly 500 years ago, not quite, but nearly 500 years ago, There was a person named Martin Luther who on that day, nearly 500 years ago, took 95 theses and he went and he nailed it to the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. And on that day, it's a pretty significant day because what what Martin Luther had recognized in in his faith is that they had lost sight of God. They were... They were taking money, and the priests were corrupt, and the church was, was ill, and, and, and he called them out on it. And he took it, and he nailed this 95 theses, to, and the Protestant Reformation was born. A reformation of the church was born. I'm not trying to just give you church history here. It's pretty significant, and it certainly ties to where we're at right now. Martin Luther, I hope we'll have some Martin Luthers in here that will rise up and look at their own lives and say, you know what, this isn't right. And I'm going to write it out. And if I have to nail it to the refrigerator, I'll nail it to the refrigerator. If I have to nail it to my computer screen, I will put it on my computer screen. But this is what has got to change in my life. I'm going this way. There's got to be some changes going on. I've got to be turning. I've got to be retreating. You know what the very first words in the statement written in Latin that Martin Luther said? He said, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. The entire life of believers would be one of repentance. I would pray to God that what would mark my life every single day would be me course correcting, retreating from, changing from, getting out of the bad attitudes, getting out of the ways, getting out of arrogance, 
as I shared a few weeks ago. The arrogance that, that Mike, I can do for God without God. That I can go places and do research and, and I'm strong enough and I can do it. And God's telling me, no, no, you can't. No, you shouldn't. But I can. No, that's arrogance. That's arrogance. And what I have to do is I have to retreat from my arrogance. What is it that you need to retreat from today? Number two, blaze a new and better path. Blaze a new and better path. If I realign my focus on Christ, I come to church, I, I, I serve somewhere, I, I, I say through a few prayers every now, now and then, hey, but listen to this, but next Saturday night, whenever I have the opportunity to go out and do that thing again, I'm going to probably do it again. Hey, but I'm going to be up on Sunday morning, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to church on Sunday morning, and I'm going to realign myself on Sunday morning so that I can somehow go out and do it again next week. Or I'm going to come to church so I can live with this person. So I'm going to come to church so I can take from my company. So I'm going to come to church. And somehow it's this kind of penance kind of mentality that if I'll just do this, then that will make it all right over here. No. It's not realigning my focus on Christ, but not repenting. But neither is it do you, if I repent, but I don't realign my focus on Christ. It takes both. Because if I, if I repent, change my wicked ways, but I don't realign on Christ, then basically I've just become a better citizen. And most of the time what people do when they go from one addiction to another, they end up going to another addiction. They go from, I, 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 I quit drugs, but now I'm drinking. And I quit drinking, but now I'm smoking. And I quit smoking, but now I'm eating too much. And they just literally jump from one to another, and they start chasing themselves from one addiction to another. Here's a life principle for you. Turning my life in the right direction is just as important as turning my life from the wrong direction. Hear that. It's interesting when I got into the theological word book of the Old Testament and I started breaking down that one word there to turn. We don't have an English word like this. I can't think of it. But it literally has the idea of two motions. One, I stop doing what is wrong. And two, I start doing what is right. All in one word. That literally I'm going the wrong way, but I'm not just going to not go that way anymore. I may go this way, but really what God wants me to do is to go this way. That I'm going to, I'm not only going to not do what's wrong, I'm going to do what's right. Make sense? Looking at your own life. Looking at, at how in, in, in so much of our lives we, we try to course correct in small ways. We'll, we'll come to a new year, and again, we just started this binging thing with, with Halloween, then it'll be Thanksgiving, and then it'll be office parties, and then it'll be Christmas, and then it'll be New Year's, and bowl games, and it just kind of keeps going. From this point forward, we have to be careful. But we always have this plan, okay, I'm going to get on a new diet in the coming year. And, and we think about it, okay, you know, there's Weight Watchers, and there's Jenny Craig, and there's Adkins, and there's, I like anything called beach. I like South Beach diet, okay? So South Beach diet, whatever, you know, paleo diet, whatever your diet is, you get on this diet, you're going to get on this diet for a while, and you're going to make it all right. 
in therapeutic world of counseling, you know what they call that? Because you know what happens with most diets. You get on, you lose weight, then you get off your diet, and what happens? You gain weight, but you many times gain more than you lost the first time. So how does that work? In the therapeutic world of counseling, they call that first-order change, where you change just this much. First-order change when you need to change down deep. First-order change is not just changing your address, is not just running from here to there, but it's going deep in your life and changing your life from not just, I'm not going to do this bad thing anymore, but I'm going to do what's right and what's good. I'm going to seek God. Whenever Paul was talking to King Agrippa, giving a defense for his own faith and his own changed life, he said this in Acts chapter 26, verse 20. He says that they should repent and turn to God. It's not just repent, turn over a new leaf, do something new, don't do something bad. But it's literally, cognitively, intentionally turning to God and then performing deeds that are in keeping with repentance. Listen, don't rebound. Don't rebound. That's not what we want. Rebounding will only be a short fix for a short time until you hit regret again. But instead, realign. Instead, repent. Do the hard work. Make the changes. Make the course corrections in a very deep way. That's what we need. And the problem is, is that this is not just an individual thing. This is a church thing. This is a church-wide thing. When I was studying the word repentance throughout the, throughout the Bible, I couldn't help but notice the number of times in the book of Revelation that the word repent is used. It's used many times. I, I, can't, I didn't count them, but it's used many times. Probably the majority of the times outside of maybe the book of Acts in the New Testament is in the book of Revelation. And it's written not to unbelievers, but to believers. To believers. The one I want to read to you is in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, when it says this. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, please, if you've zoned out, zone back in. Speaking to the church of Ephesus, Jesus was. I'm speaking to the church of Grace Point. Okay? The church of Ephesus had had pastors like the Apostle Paul, Timothy, and many even believe that John was a part of the church of Ephesus in the latter part of his life, maybe even writing some of his historical letters from Ephesus and out. So having three giants in the faith, some 30 years removed from this church being born in Ephesus. Now he's coming to them and he's saying, listen, you've fallen away. You need to repent. The first words is repent. Remember where you've fallen. Repent. Or at this dastardly, ominous, sad promise is there. I'm going to come and remove the lampstand. 
you got to study Revelation to understand that the lampstand represented the very presence of God. That abiding presence, that that glowing presence, that warming presence, that life-changing presence. Here's, here's, what, here's what my prayer was Friday when I landed on that verse right there and I stopped. I said, that message is finished. I think back about 15 nearly years that we've been going. And I think back through the various things that God's done in people's lives, different people, and I thought about them by name and, and just prayed over them again and some marriages restored, some families that have adopted children. So now these children have forever homes. I just got excited again. Got excited about Grace Point. But hang on, don't, don't, don't go too quickly. As I was getting excited, God was preparing me to give me one of those messages that I don't want to hear, but I need to hear. Started thinking about, man, awesome. Aubrey Barton, growing up in our church as a child, I baptized her in a hotel. She used to come to our church. Her family came to our church whenever we didn't have a facility. And, and I go on about Aubrey and how she grew up in the student ministry and how she goes off to college and now she's living in West Africa. It's just a beautiful thing. Like I thought, oh man, God, thank you. Thank you for putting your lampstand in a faith family called Grace Point. And it was like God turned the conversation. He said, Mike, I want the lampstand to stay at Grace Point. But what I need is I need repentance. Not just your repentance, but every single person. Look inside the closets of their life. Look inside the heart of their soul and say, what am I holding on to? That mine hasn't made the list somewhere. Mine hasn't made the website somewhere. That I haven't been found out at work yet. But I'm holding on to it. I don't want the lampstand of God's working to leave us. And what I just say this from Revelation. Let us repent, whatever that is in our life. All around our room to now, we're going to have prayer partners. There's going to be some across the front. There's some in the landing area. You don't even have to tell them anything that you're repenting from. You might. You might feel the need to. These are my prayer partners, people I trust, I pray with. Feel free to go to them and just say, would you pray for me right now? I'm going to pray. And then we're going to turn the service to you and let you do business with the Lord. Father God, where we are broken, would you make us whole? Where we are hiding, where we are hiding, where we are hiding, things in our life, you help us to relinquish them in humility? Would you help us, Lord, just to find refreshing in confession? Would you help us to realign away from that which is getting us off course to getting our eyes set on you, pursuing you? Lord, would you help us to know how to step away and retreat from and move towards Jesus.
do business in us here and now that will forever, forever restore us to the glory and to the workings that you want to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Prayer partners, you go. Y'all stand and sing at this time. This is your time.